friends, welcome back. Uh, as you can see, uh, we're in my kitchen right now, so uh, there's a big snowstorm going on, so we felt it's probably a better idea to be uh, working from home uh, today. And you know, you're probably watching from home, uh, maybe you're listening in your car or somewhere, somewhere else, and so we're just grateful that you're taking the time uh, with us to just dive into His Word and, and see what we, uh, we learn as we're in part five of a series uh, called Building a Biblical Worldview in 2022. And uh, we started this series, you know, a number of weeks ago, just with the thought that we would examine our worldview. Uh, we, we compared it to like wearing glasses. When you wear glasses, you, you don't look at them, you look through them. And every once in a while, you got to take them off and make sure, you know, the lenses are clean and, and you know, that everything's in working order. And it's kind of the same idea here that we're saying, you know, taking off our worldview to just look at it and say, what is it based on? Uh, as Jesus followers, who you know, primarily speaking to you tonight, we've um, we've just really, really been challenged to follow Jesus in this as well. We see that throughout Scripture, he would uh, he would respond to temptations and and uh, questions and comments and uh, different challenges that he faced by simply using the words uh, Scripture says, and and uh, then he would share his thoughts uh, based on uh, based on what uh, what scripture said and so we've asked ourselves do we know what scripture says do we know the whole of scripture it's so important rather than us taking you know verses from here and there uh, from coffee mugs or from instagram posts and and building a biblical worldview is that we would know the whole of scripture that we would know the word of god and the god of the word we said it many times and then challenging ourselves too to just ask ourselves do we have a do we have a biblical worldview about about everything you know, we talked about some of the big ones uh, over the last couple of weeks. You know, what about humanity? Is humanity inherently good? We covered that in week two. Uh, then we talked about family. Is it, you know, family and marriage? Are, the, are those by design? And then, uh, you know, last week in week four, we talked about, uh, do we have a biblical worldview of government uh, based on Romans 13? And so if you've missed those, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. They will be very helpful uh, uh, as, as support parts for tonight. Because in this one, you know, I've actually spent the last five weeks thinking about, praying about, prepping for this one, because I think it's the most difficult one. And we want to talk about the topic of sexuality. Uh, do we have a biblical view, a biblical worldview, uh, uh, when it comes to the topic of sex, gender, and sexuality? And, and uh, why are we talking about it? Well, uh, recently uh, we had a, a bill passed by our parliament, uh, Bill C-4, was unanimously passed. And uh, as a result of that bill being passed, uh, there was uh, thousands of pastors around uh, North America in Canada and in the States who all decided that on a specific Sunday, they were going to speak uh, uh, on this topic of sexuality in response to that bill. Uh, we, didn't, uh, we didn't join them in, in, on that same week because we wanted to share a few of those other building blocks first. But today we want to tackle that, uh, tackle that topic and, and to ask ourselves this. Do we have a biblical, a biblical view of uh, sexuality. And my hope tonight is that, you know, you would hear his voice. You know, that we would hear his word and not, not you know, my opinions or, or not uh, different, different things that you, th you, know, you, think, you think you may hear. A lot of times when, when pastors talk about sexuality, they, they begin the, the message with a whole lot of like um, a, a apologies or, or disclaimers or different things. And, and, and I don't want to do that uh, today. I just simply want to ask this question. Would you listen to this message in its entirety before, before making a judgment call on you know, which way it's going or what, uh, what your thoughts were on it? It'd be so easy to simply take out one clip of something that I said and say, oh, well, this is what they think. 
but that's not true. It's never, it's never true for any of us uh, that we get everything, the full thought from one, from one uh, soundbite. And so I'd, I would just encourage you to, uh, to listen all, all the way through. Um, Bill C4, I mean, if you're not familiar with it, it simply, uh, it simply started with a summary just saying that, um, uh, that it would now be a criminal offense to cause somebody else to undergo conversion therapy, um, the, the changing of gender by force. And, uh, you know, I like when you hear that, I'm like, man, yeah, I'm 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 for that. I think it's I think that's a good bill to have. I don't I'm, I don't think co- coercion towards any kind of therapy uh, is, is a good idea. I think there should be bills passed that, you know, um, uh, ban other forms of uh, conversion uh, and coercion uh, to, to using therapy as well, because to, to force somebody to, to to cause them to do something. Um, against their will, against their desire, it's definitely there's there's something wrong with that, and it should be it should be uh, considered a, a criminal offense. But as we begin to look through the through the um, uh, the nitty gritty of the bill, you begin to see some different things that I feel may you know require a response from us, or at least an idea of understanding. Do we what's our response to this bill? What's our what's our response to it as Jesus followers? And uh, as you look at, you know, the preamble, it, it talks about how um, conversion therapy causes harm to the persons who are subjected to it. And then it also causes harm to society because it's based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, about gender identity, gender expression. It, uh, and it goes on to, to mention a number of other things. And when he uses that word myth, you know, that, that, uh, that, that identity and uh, sexuality and, and that, that, that those are all based on a myth. Well, the word myth is, is it means this. It's a widely held belief um, that is that's or idea that is false. Uh, and so even though it's widely held, it's a, it's a false idea. And and, and asking or, or saying that, hey, conversion therapy or this it's based on myths. You know, there's this male female thing. You know, that's not, that's not a thing. That, that that's a myth. And and as we begin to think back of what we've been looking at with our with our biblical worldview, all of a sudden that comes up. Like we said, it collides with uh, the worldview that that Scripture tells us. You know, it talks about um, sorry that a person's um, sexuality wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be um, con- conformed to the, the assigned. Uh, gender at birth and we're like you know what do you, the wording is unique you know assigned by who like when when the child was born does a doctor just flip a coin be like okay this one's uh we're gonna call this one a girl we'll call this one a boy that that's their assigned gender or is there something deeper than that and then finally you know the definition of it that uh it would it would be against the law to try and change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual there's very specific wording in this that, that goes, you know, in, in a line that says, you know, to, to prevent somebody from, from uh, forcing someone's gender to be cisgender uh, or to, re- to repress um, non-heterosexual attraction. All of these, these thoughts that are, you know, leading in a, in, a, in, a, in a certain direction, saying that, you know, there's no preferred uh, sexuality or, or uh, gender, that, that, that there shouldn't be a preferred one. Uh, but then goes on for greater certainty. The definition doesn't include practices or treatments that uh, that relate to the exploration or development of an integrated personal identity, um, such as the things that that um, that that help a person discover their gender. And so, you know, the the expression or the experimentation, uh, those kind of things are okay as long as they're not in a path that leads to heterosexual. Um, a gender identity. And so when you look at that and think about that from a biblical worldview, that it would be criminal to, to, um, to offer people a service that says, hey, you know, you can, uh, if you want to, you can, uh, 
go back to the gender of your birth, uh, that those things are being forbidden and actually called criminal. And so we want to look at that and, 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 and ask ourselves, you know, what is the, what is the biblical worldview of sexuality? And, and how did we get to here? Why, why are we at this place in our world where we need to have laws passed and I think it's really helpful for us to consider, you know, uh, what our what our worldview is, but also what our response is. Uh, it's extremely important. So, you know, the first four parts of this series, I, I believe, set us up for this. That in week one, we talked about how, uh, you know, in the beginning, people didn't want God in their worldview. They wanted to be God themselves. And so by removing God from their worldview, we have to determine what's right and wrong. In our second part of the series, we talked about how as humans, we're not inherently good. Uh, not deep down at our core. And we, we talked about, about how if we're not inherently good, how, how do we know how to decide what's good or, or, or evil for ourselves? But what about for our world as well? Then we talked about how you know, marriage and, and, uh, and relationships are, are by design. You know, and this idea of humanity being designed male and female, is, if, uh, is that a design or is that just something that... Um, uh, has evolved or is it is it relative and and then finally uh, last week we just simply talked about you know the the role of the state and does the does the state have the authority to say this is what you're allowed to do this is what you're not allowed to do in all areas of life including talking with your children about sexuality uh, talking about your children about gender and gender gender identity in a way that uh, is taught from scripture are those things uh, is the state allowed to do that um and so we talked about all those things. And so I think, you know, we'll find, too, that those set us up for what we're talking about tonight. So um, as we build a, a biblical worldview, I, I'm just I would simply say this. I, I, the goal today is not to tell you what to think. It's not really even to tell you how to think, uh, but simply to think uh, that we would think about it and just ask ourselves, do I want a biblical worldview of, of sexuality or what uh, is my what's my uh, worldview based on? So let's jump in. What does scripture say about uh, sex and sexuality and gender? Uh, how do we get here? And where do we go from here? So uh, I, I want us to start with a guy named Paul. Paul was, um, he was a man who was totally against Christ. He's against Christ's followers. He, uh, he, he hated them so much he murdered them. And then something happened to him. He had, an ex- he had an experience with uh, the risen Jesus Christ, and as a result, his life changed. It a complete 180. Then he went around, instead of killing Christians, he, beca- he began uh, making, you know, and discipling uh, uh, Christians and building these these gatherings of Jesus followers all over the Roman Empire, which we now would call churches. Uh, and then uh, when he was imprisoned for, for his beliefs and for other things, he would he'd write letters to these gatherings of Jesus followers, to the church in, in Rome, to the church in Philippi, to the gathering in Galatia. And uh, we've had those letters, and they've been translated. He would explain to them what it meant to be a Jesus follower and, and how to live as a Jesus follower. And, and Romans is actually, Romans is, is his, his, it's his big one. It's the one where he explains the gospel, the good news from start to finish and, and how to live in response to that. And so in Romans 1, we're going to jump in right there. Romans 1 verse 16, he says this, For I am not ashamed. Of the good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work. It's, it's saving everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. Verse 17 he says. This good news of the gospel. It, it tells us what how God made us right. I love that. He says that's what the good news. It, it tells how God made us right. Not how we made us right. But how he made us right. And he says this. He says it's accomplished from start to finish by faith. 
by simply trusting in him. That, that's how you start. That's how you do the journey. And that's how you end. And it says this, as the scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. And, and, and I want you to remember that portion as we go through this. Uh, through this, day. this is where Paul's framing. He's like, man, I got good news for you. And then he jumps in here. He says, but in verse 18, I have good news for you, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them for ever since the world was created. He says, people, they've seen the earth. They've seen the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible uh, uh, qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Uh, what's Paul saying? He's saying, hey, the creation proves that there's a creator. All of this design we see around us, it, it proves that there's a, de a designer. He's, he's seeing it's so it's so evident out there that people know that there's a God. They, they can know the truth about him, that, about his order, about his character, about his de design. And uh, he, he appeals to that in this in this letter to the Romans, that that they know there's a design. And so we've talked kind of, you know, in the last couple of weeks about God's design for things. And what about the design for humanity and, and sexuality? I mean, if we go back to Genesis where Paul is reaching to, he's saying, hey, you know, in creation, we can see, you know, in Genesis 1 verse 27, it says this, that God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. They're different than everything else, but he created them male and female. He created them. Uh, then and we see in the next thing, you know, Genesis 2, 24. Four, he, he describes kind of the purpose behind it. He says, you know, God brought woman to the man. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. But he says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother. And he's joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. And he, he talks about that very first marriage. And Jesus, later on in discussions about marriage, he goes back and says these very words. And like we said previously, we don't trust these words because they're in Genesis. Some people, you know, many want to write off Genesis. And say, oh, that, that's just, you know, um, some story. But Jesus didn't believe it was just some story. And as followers of Jesus, we hold to what Jesus believed in. And he believes in this, this, this thought that a man would leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two become one. That that, that, that was God's design. And then we also see, you know, the, the purpose of the design. Like in a few chapters later when God uh, commands Noah, hey, Noah, get all these animals on the boat. He, he says in Genesis 7, 3, he's like, take seven pairs of every kind of bird, but there must be a male and female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. He's like, there's a, there's a reason there's a male and a female. And he says, it's so that life will continue. And so Paul, as he's writing in Romans 1, he's like, man, you can see that there's a design. Uh, and based on that, you know there's a designer. And that designer has designed you in a specific way, in a, in a, very, um, in a very thought out way. So then he goes on with Romans 1.21. He says, yes, they knew God. She's so saying, yeah, hey, they, they knew that there's a God. But, but here's where things begin to change. He says, they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks he says they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, it says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. So remember that word. You know, as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. 
And what happened? They worshipped and served the things that God created instead of the Creator Himself, who's worthy of eternal praise. And He just says, Amen. Verse 26, He says, That's why. That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires, because they traded the truth for a lie. They worshipped the things, the created things, rather than the Creator. And it says, so God abandoned them to their shameful desires. There's that word again. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, they burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. You know, Paul doesn't really, he doesn't really mince any words. Like he starts by saying, hey, I've got good news for you. And he says, but just so you know, this good God has some, has some thoughts about, about our sexuality and, and uh, how we do life. And what we see from this is how did we, how did we get away from, from, from uh, God's design? It's simply this. They just didn't want God in their knowledge. Paul writes that again. They didn't want God in their worldview. They're like, we know what's best for us. And, and there's many people who still today choose that, saying, I, I don't want God in my worldview. I just want to do what's best for me. And, 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 and that's okay if that's the, the choice you want to make. As Jesus followers, I just simply want to ask, have you decided what your worldview is going to be uh, based on when it comes to this topic? You know, they said that, that, that we want to be our own God. Man, we all struggle with that at times. Just want our own desires going against what God has designed. He says in Romans 1.21, he says, as a result of that, you know, their, their minds become dark and confused. I don't know about you, but man, when I look at this topic of sexuality in our modern culture, there is, seems to just be so much confusion around it. It's like there's so, so many people have different thoughts and different things and uh, theories on, on it. And there's so many different genders now. You like, you don't know how to keep up. Like uh, there was, there was two and then there was three and then there was seven. And, and now, and then, you know, just recently reading, well, now there's 112, but there's also 71 suffixes and, and there's pronouns to remember and, and how to use them. And, and it just, it's a lot of confusion. You know, when, when kids grow up and they're, they have these questions about sexuality and they're already a little, there's already a little bit of confusion there. And to, 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 to be in a place where you say, well, well, how do we how do we steer? How do we help kids understand? Um, you know, their uh, and navigate through this. They, they, there needs to be some guiding lights because it's it's just confusing. And and Paul says it, it's a result of not wanting God in our knowledge. We'll, we'll figure it out ourselves. It leads to this confusion. You know, Paul wrote when he wrote to the Corinthians. He was talking to them about having order in their worship services, and he just he just drops this little tidbit about the character of God. He says, you know, God's not the author of confusion; he's the author of order. There's uh, there's not we see it in nature, we see it everywhere. He's, it's it, there's an order to things. It's not confusion's not his thing, and you know that's what we see. You know, with this topic of sexuality that that causes so much hurt and brokenness is there's just so much confusion. And we look at it and say, well, yeah, but God designed it, uh, you know, but, but when we read about, you know, that those scriptures in Genesis, that was before sin entered the world. And, and man, we, we talked about that in week two, how sin just broke everything, including this. You know, as you hear these words, it'd be like, you know, this may not be what you want to hear. You know, this, when you hear these words from scripture, you're like, oh, that's not what I want to hear. But at least it's clear. It may not be what you want to hear, but at least it's clear. It's not, it's not confusing. You know, the second thing we learn from Romans 1, verse 21, it says they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. 
You know, they worshipped the things that God created instead of him. It says in verse 25, and I don't know about you, but I, I see that around us, that it's almost like our culture worships sexuality. It's like it's pedestalized. It's it's everywhere. It's in the movies. It's in the music. You know, it's in all the advertisements. It's pop-ups on your computer. It's like, it's just everywhere. And money goes towards it. And, you know, the song sung about it is almost like that it's, that it's worshipped. It's like, it's, it's almost a celebration of the desire rather than the design. It's like we have these desires that we celebrate that instead to, to, to no end. And uh, I remember reading C.S. Lewis, and he talked about how strange, how strange it is that we have such a preoccupation with sex and sexuality, and, and uh, there's so much uh, of our life surrounded by it. And, you know, talking about the strip clubs and things like that, he, 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 he made this statement. He said, you know, what, you know, that's just one of those desires that we have in life. We, we have other desires as well, like the desire for food and, and, and for, for drink and for, you know, air and exercise and water and whatever. But he's, wouldn't he, he said, wouldn't it be strange if, you know, you had a whole bunch of people in a room, a whole bunch of guys in a room, and all of a sudden this person wheels out this cart. And on the cart, there's this, this uh, cloth covering it up. And uh, they start hooting and cheering and hollering and waving their dollar bills. And, and all of a sudden he, he lifts up a little bit of the curtain. And underneath you can see, a, you know, a whole buffet of food. And, and they all start cheering and he drops it again and and you know waits for a few of them to throw some singles up on the stage and then he pulls a little bit more and, and they all start going crazy over it. he's like we would think that that is just so strange and and yet somehow in our culture we've we've so absorbed with sex sex and sexuality that that uh, it, it, it that's something that most people think is just sort of normal how did we get how did we get there you know the we think about, you know, God's original design for us. His original design for us is that he as God would, de- would determine our identity, that he'd be the source of our identity. And, you know, we've made sex and sexuality into such a God that now it's tied to identity, something it was never meant to be. You know, when God was like the, the one who, he, he, we were made in his image, that we would always know that we are, we're loved by God, that we're his, his child, that we're accepted by him, that our identity is just secure in, in whose we are. And yet now, it's this thing of your identity is tied to your sexuality. We, we worship it so much, it's like that, it determines who you are. And I believe it's one of the reasons why it's such a sensitive subject for us to talk about. Because when somebody t- talks about, you know, that, that topic in, in a way that maybe we don't like, it's like, yeah, it's like it, it's like it affects me. Like, it, that, that, that's who I am. You, you can't touch that. That's who I am. But that wasn't the design. You know, and I, I follow different uh, YouTubers and listen to some of the accounts of those who've gone through transitions and then later on, you know, the, the detransition stories, there's almost as many of them uh, as people who said, you know, I, I thought it was going to make me happy if I could just get my body to the place where, where I felt like it was, uh, I was living in my right body. And then to find that they get there and then realize, wait a second, you know, I, uh, I'm, the emptiness is still there. Like the, the, no matter what happened to me, I'm, I'm still in that, in that spot. And there's an incredible hopelessness that happens for many as a result. You know, and it, when we think about this worship of sex or that sex is like, like God, like it's going to supply all of our needs and, and it's going to make us happy and we're going to get there. Uh, you know, we, 
we just realize it leaves us empty. If it, if it did work, like if sex really could make us happy, and then you know, prostitutes would be the happiest people on the planet. And we realize that it's, it's the opposite. There's something so powerful about this. And there's something that it ends up being broken about it as well. We also learn, it says this, they thought up ideas of what God was like, it says in Romans one twenty one. They thought up ideas of what God was like. We don't want God in our knowledge. We'll make him up on our own. And they thought up these ideas. And I would just say, you know, to the Jesus followers, I don't think that just happens in the world. Uh, the more that I read and the more that I see, I think that happens in the church as well. That people make up ideas of what God is like um, rather than following who he really is. You, know, you hear statements of saying, well, my Jesus, he, uh, he would never say that. Or my Jesus is loving. Or my Jesus would never do that to another person. And you hear this my Jesus, your Jesus stuff. And the truth is there is no my Jesus and your Jesus. There's just Jesus. There's just actual Jesus. What Jesus said is what Jesus said. What Jesus did is what Jesus did. It doesn't matter if your Jesus does or doesn't that do that. He's, he says there's no, there's no uh, um, room for making up this other um, God that we uh, that we want, you know, I was listening to uh, a debate between some pastors and one pastor just he just simply said like he's a, he's a Christian pastor and he he just simply said when it comes to this topic of judgment of, uh, you know, the feeling of judgment on uh, on um, different sexualities. He's like, I, I don't want anything to do with a God like that. You know, I'm a preacher of the gospel, but I don't want anything to do with a God like that. And what happens as a result when I don't want a God like that? The attempt then is to change scripture to fit with culture. We said this before, you know, do we look at, do we look at our culture through the lens the, uh, of a biblical world perspective? Or do we end up feeling tempted to look at the Bible through a lens of culture and say, I got I to gotta make, make this fit somehow? You know, we see that happening in this thing called progressive Christianity is that we'll, we'll adjust scriptures in order to, uh, to, make it, to make culture fit. You know, I wonder why we do that. Why, why do we do that? You know, why do we want it to be that we can have, we can have both? You know, I was thinking about that. You know, if, if, a, if a guy went into the, the pizza shop and said, hey, I want to order a hamburger. And the pizza store owner's like, well, we don't serve hamburgers here. And he's like, well, I don't care if you serve them. I want a hamburger. And they're like, well, okay, go to a hamburger store. You know, go to a hamburger restaurant. And he's like, no, I want a hamburger and I want it from your store. So make me one now. You know, any one of us would say, well, <laughs> get that guy out of the restaurant, right? Like, that's not how it works. And I wonder sometimes why we do that with this topic. It's like, you know what? We want God to be okay with this. You know, we want, we want, it, we want the Bible to uh, uh, approve or, or honor these different, different things that culture says. You know, we want, well, whatever the, this bill says, well, that's, we need to amalgamate that. And, you know, we've got to find a way to make that fit and make that work. We want to have both sides. And, you know, the, the truth is, as a, as a follower of Jesus with a biblical worldview, world we don't get the benefit. Of, we don't get the, the option of having both. We have to choose which one we're going to, uh, we're going to adhere to. You know, we, uh, when I think about that, like with marriage, for instance, marriage was God's idea. We, we, we didn't design it. Man didn't design marriage. He doesn't get to redefine it. You can have different unions for sure, but they're just they're not they're not marriage when it, when it's looked at through a biblical worldview. You know, we we didn't design sexuality and gender. So man doesn't really have the authority to redefine sexuality and gender. We can we can define these other we can call them these other things, but we can't say as a biblical worldview that that, that we can redefine those words. 
We can't have a biblical worldview and, and a cultural worldview. It's, 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 either, it's either or. You know, and I think about this as like, wow, this gets real heavy, you know? Like, oh, man, I'm glad I wasn't sitting there live, right? <laughs> Paul goes on, and this is why I think it's so important to listen to the whole thing, because it's so easy for people just to pile on and, and point fingers at, at you know, the, the things that we, you know, don't, don't disagree with, or, you know, it's outside of our perspective. But here, here's what Paul says, and just, just listen carefully. He says in Romans 1.29, he says, their lives... You know, as a result of worshiping the, the creation and, and uh, not wanting God in their knowledge, he says their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, every kind of sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. What's he saying? It's not just sexual stuff. It's like, it's all stuff. He's like, they, they end up being backstabbers. They end up being haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand they break their promises, they're heartless, and they have no mercy. They, they know that God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, but they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. And, you know, we'd finish right there, but, but Paul was writing a letter. He, he did, there was no chapters. So that's where chapter 1 ends, but that's not where Paul's thought ends. He goes on in chapter 2 to say this. You might think, to the reader, he's like, you might think you can condemn such people. You know, maybe it is, you've heard that. That's kind of the feeling. Like, man, this is condemning. Like, this guy's just, he's saying stuff that's just so hateful and whatever else. Paul, Paul speaks to us when he says this. You, you might think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad, he said. And you have no excuse. When you say they're wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. He says, for you who judge others, you do the very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Verse 3, since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? He's simply saying to this, to this group of people, he's like, he, he says, you can't, you can't point the finger at someone else, you know, and think that, oh, you know, they've, they fall in this area when there's all kinds of these other areas in your own life. He says, you, there's, there's not this allowance to, to do that. And then he reminds them. He reminds the reader, these are Jesus' followers. He reminds them, he says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? What incredible words, right? Like kind and tolerant and patient that God is with, with you. He's not even saying, like, we're not talking about them. We're talking about the mirror. We're talking about you. And he says this, verse 5, he says, but, but because you're stubborn and refuse to turn away from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He's going to judge everyone according to what they've done. But he says it's going to, he, he will do it righteously. In verse 7, he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth. And instead they live lives of wickedness. Kind of how I painted that picture at the beginning. You know, I don't want God in my knowledge. I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to be God. Uh, I'll be my own God. I'll have my own truth. I'm going to live for me. And he says that the result is a life of wickedness that he says it will, it, will, it will be judged one day by the God that we're all accountable to. You know, Paul reminds the, 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 these readers, he's like, we're all broken. We, we all have desires at times in our life that are, that are at odds with God's design. We've all missed the marking areas of our lives, and, and we all deserve judgment. So we're kind of all in the same thing. And he says, it's out of that humility that he shares this, hey, but the kindness of God. And he shares this warning. And that's my hope, too, is just simply out of the humility of that to share 
the, that same, that warning that God uh, um, gives us through his uh, and because of his kindness. You know, uh, our response, I think, as a church to gender and identity and sexuality and the confusion, uh, you know, in our culture, I, I think oftentimes our response has done more harm than good. And uh, tonight, I just want to take a, take a look at, you know, what our response what our response could or should look like. You know, Scripture tells us how we got here, but it doesn't leave us there. And that is the good news of it. Paul, Paul gives this reminder uh, and, and, this, and the warning, but the reminder first, don't you see how kind God is? And he mentions it again. It's in his kindness that, that he's inviting you into a new life. He's inviting you into a new life, at, you know, because of his kindness to, to turn from a life you once lived. Matthew, uh, Matthew was one of the followers of Jesus. He was a tax collector. They, they were looked down upon big time. They were like traitors. There was like the worst of sinners. And then above those were the, ta- well, below those were the tax collectors. I mean, the, these were the, like, they were, you know, considered the, the human garbage of, of their culture. And, uh, you know, Matthew is like, Jesus comes up to his booth one day and says, hey, you know, Matthew, come follow me. And Matthew writes down this, this, this account, which, you know, is, it's incredible when you think about it, because he writes this down after this event happened here. Matthew 9, verse 9, he says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. And he says, follow me and be my disciple. There's the invitation. There's no coercion. There's no force. It's just, hey, you know, come follow me. Be my disciple. And Jesus um, said to him, so Matthew got up and he followed him. Verse 10, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Remember, it's Matthew writing this. These are, these are his buddies. This is what he writes about them. Verse 11, he says, But when the Pharisees, the religious people, came along, he says, they asked his disciples, Hey, why did your teacher eat with such scum? That's the, that, that was their term. And then and verse 12, But Jesus heard it. You know, he's like, why is, your, why is your teacher eating? And Jesus hears it, and he addresses them. And, you know, it's like the question is being asked kind of over on the sidelines here, you know, to the disciples. And Jesus is sitting further, you know, further down, but he, but he hears them. And, and he answers he answers the, um, the, the Pharisees by saying this, healthy people don't need a doctor. And, uh, you know, all the guys are like, oh, Matthew and his buddies. Can you just picture them all sitting around that table? Like, yeah, oh, man, I love watching Jesus deal with these guys, right? And he's like, healthy people don't need a doctor, he says. Sick people do. Can you imagine Matthew and his friends, like, sitting there, wait, wait a second. What, what, he, he's calling us sick? And he's calling us sick? Jesus actually goes on and adds to it and says, Now go learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I've come to call those who, or not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. He's looking at each other. He thinks we're sick. He, think, he thinks we're, we're sinners. You know, like, that's kind of judgmental. But I can just picture Jesus, like, saying, Come on, Matthew. <laughs> you, know, you guys know who you are. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, 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 you know, we're the sick ones. We're, we're the sinners, but we're with Jesus. Regardless of how that happened, Jesus could say these words of truth. And yet they've, these people sitting around him felt just an incredible amount of grace that they could be with Jesus, even though they were in that situation that they found themselves in. You know, Jesus is described as being full of grace and full of truth. In John 3, 17, he says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save. That, that's why he came. You know, he can, and we said in a couple of weeks ago that he continued to share the ideal. This is, this is the ideal. This is, this is the design. But he ministered to the real. He saw the people who were in those places. 
And I think we would do well to learn from that example. You know, I look at it and wonder, like, how long did he give Matthew to clean up his life? Any of their disciples, really. Like, how long, how long did they have before? Like, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. And, all right, you got seven days. And you better have stopped smoking. You better have done all these things. You know, you got, you got this time frame. And if you aren't ready by then, see you. You know, you're, you're out. Man, we, we see the journey that they simply said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And he would continue to, to work out things in their life. Even, even after Jesus had left the planet, he was still at work through his spirit in their lives. And we see that. You know, the point wasn't that uh, we would try and change someone's behavior, but just simply that we would call them to follow Christ and allow Christ to change those, change the things on the inside as they follow. You know, I, I see it with Paul as well. You know, as we kind of get to the, to, the, to the end of this talk, we see Paul, and he writes them this in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. He says, when I wrote to you before, he says, I told you, not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. And so here's, he's writing to the, to the church, the Jesus followers. I'm like, okay, you know, we're not, we're not going to be around those who are in sexual sin. And it's like, there's a thing that, like, those people. And Paul's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold on a second. He's like, when I wrote to you, I told you, you know, don't associate with those who are indulging in sexual sin. But he says, I wasn't talking about unbelievers. I wasn't talking about those in the world who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or those who cheat uh, people or those who worship idols. You'd have to leave the whole world in order to avoid people like that. He says this in verse 11. I meant, I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It's not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. See, I think this is where the church has got so backwards. You know, we've, 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 we've been known for always pointing our fingers outside and judging the behavior of people outside the church and, and, and not calling uh, those on the inside to the repentance that they're called to. You know, it's, uh, Paul pretty clearly explains what the response should be, right? He, he, he clarifies this difference between those who are insiders and those who are outsiders. You know, that the, the outsiders, he's like, they're not part of the church. They're not part, they, they haven't said that they want to be followers of Jesus. Don't hold them to a standard that they never committed to. That's coercion. <laughs> Don't coerce people to follow something that they've never agreed to follow. He says, all that we can do is, says, is to call them to come to Christ. That, that, that is our mission to the world around us. Not to point fingers, not to do any of that stuff, but simply to call them to Christ. You know, Taylor Swift uh, had that song, You Need to Calm Down. You know, you're being too loud. You need to calm down. And she's not wrong when she says that, where there's these people with signs, you know, just pointing out at, at uh, this this from their view, broken sexuality as if, you know, we can condemn. He's like, no, you know, you, you can't coerce someone into following Christ. You can't coerce behavior. That's not what we're called to do. But the gospel is that we would simply call people and invite people to come to follow, uh, to follow Christ, to find a savior, to find the hope of the world uh, and to find the joy that we found in him. And then he also in this thing, he says, but hey, you know, to the insiders, to those who decide they want to follow Christ, guess what you're doing? You're following Christ. And he says to them, he says, listen, it's just as important to show love to the people inside the church by calling them out on their actions. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, you just can justify, you know, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or 
you know, it's like, uh, the, you know, I need the sexual brokenness, you know, that, that, that may happen, uh, it, pornography, whatever it may be, like all of these other sexual things. It's like, okay, well, you know, th- those are kind of accepted. You know, everybody, everybody lives with their boyfriend first. Everybody, and Paul's like, no, Jesus followers, like, we've called you to follow Christ. And he reminds them of the ideal, and he says, hey, hey, this, this is serious. This is this, this warning. This warning, why? Because you've chosen to follow Christ, so I'm going to call you to what you've chosen to follow. And sometimes we're so scared to talk about that, and we think, you know, I think why we're so scared to talk about it, I'm just going to finish with this is that oftentimes the response to a message like this, a response to someone um, sharing some of these thoughts with somebody personally, is like, well, that's so unloving. It's so unloving. I don't know about you, but man, I don't ever want to feel like I'm unloving. I, I, I don't. I think that, the, the, that, that, that cuts to the heart. Like, you, you know, it's, it's unloving. But I, I just, you know, as we, as we wrap this up, I just want you to think about that for, for one second. You know, if you thought today's talk was unloving, if you think when somebody addresses someone else and says, hey, you know what, uh, whether to a Jesus follower and says, hey, you know what, like uh, you're a follower of Christ. I wanted to call you to purity in your relationships because that's what Christ calls you to, that that would be unloving. Just just think about this. I, I, I thought about it this, this year because as, um, as the ice was freezing, man, my kids, they were just like so pumped to get out and go skating. The, we had the first freeze, right? And the ice is like, like maybe half an inch thick and the kids are like oh man they're getting their skates out and they're checking to see if they fit and, and I'm like wait a second you, no, you guys aren't thinking what, <laughs> you're not thinking what I think you're thinking right? you're, you're not going skating out there I'm like oh yeah dad it's frozen and uh, what's my response to them I'm like no 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 no. You, you, you cannot you know go out there I'm warning them that ice is not going to hold you it is not safe your safety is my concern it is not um, safe, you know, and their response, you know, to me could be, dad, come on, you're ruining our fun, or dad, we think you're wrong, or dad, it's none of your business, dad, you know, um, but they can't say, dad, you're unloving, why, because it, the most loving thing I can do is warn them of something that affects their safety, you know, I think about it in this topic as well, you know, if somebody says, hey, you know, Paul writes, here's, here's the warning. I, I'm not passing judgment on you. You know, we read those verses in Romans. It's like, oh, that's passing judgment. And he's like, no, no, no. This is my warning to you. There, there is a judgment, but it comes later. But you can avoid that. There, there's hope. There's a way to avoid that judgment. But I'm just warning you of it. Like, Paul, come on, you're ruining our fun. You know, it's none of, it's none of your business, you know. You're wrong. And, uh, but you can't say he's unloving. And, you know, even, even, even if you take that one step further, where maybe you think, Mark, you're, you're wrong on this. Like, you know, I'd like the, whatever, whatever backup you may have to say you're wrong. Uh, I, I would encourage you to think about this for a second. That even if, let's say I think that the ice is two inches thick. And I think in my gut, like, I mean, I, I, I'm convinced that it's not safe. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure. I think that it's not safe. How loving is it for me to, to let them walk out there and just find out? Now, it's still loving based on that conviction on the inside to say, hey, I just want to warn you. I, I can't stop you. I can stop my kids, but, but I can't stop another adult. I can't stop somebody else from, from going out there. I can't, I can't stop. That's not, my, that's not my place. And that's not, that's not what this is all about. It's just simply to say, hey, here, here's, the, here's the truth. Here's the warning. What, uh, 
what will you do with that? But it's definitely not unloving. You know, I wonder sometimes why we can't have conversations. And obviously tonight it's like, well, I can't because you're the only one who gets to talk. Uh, but, but I wonder sometimes why we can't have conversations about this that don't end up heated and hostile. And I really think we need to. I, you know, I, I'd love for, uh, I watched a, a, a video by um, Sean McDowell and he, he's, uh, I don't know if he does an interview. I guess he just does like a, a podcast or a, um, yeah, an interview with a guy named Colby Martin, another pastor. And they both, they're both on opposite sides. One's from the side that, you know, uh, hey, this is, this is God's design. And the other's from the side saying, no, God's, God is for same-sex marriage. God is for uh, throuples. He's for whatever because he's love. And, and they have this conversation. And uh, the way that they speak to one another is just, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Uh, and I would encourage you to look it up. Look it up. Sean McDowell, Colby Martin, and watch it. I think it's, it's incredible. But let me finish Honestly, let me finish with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Here, here's what Paul later writes to the Corinthians. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's where we're going to land uh, tonight. It says this, do you, do you not know? Do, do you not know? What is that? That's the warning. He's like, do, do you not know that the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God? He's writing to believers. He's writing to them. He's saying, don't be deceived. Like, don't, don't fool yourself. He says, neither, and he, here he lists them off, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You know, he lists a whole bunch of sexual sins there. <laughs> you know, it's not just, though, it's not just the pet one we want to, he's like, no, man, like it, it, all the sexual brokenness. Like if you, if you make that your lifestyle, the practice of your life, he's like, sin is like missing the mark. It's, it's off the design. He's like, any of that stuff. He's like, like, all of it that's outside of that. He says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here's what I just love. Verse 11, he says this, and such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of God. What is Paul saying? What does Paul believe? He's like, hey, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites. There's some, that, that, that was some of you. See, because I think in our culture now, it's like, oh, that you can't change. That, that you can't even offer change. You can't even offer the opportunity for change to go to, to leave that, to, uh, that lifestyle. That's, gonna, that's criminal. <laughs> and yet Paul, 2,000 years ago, in a biblical, from a biblical worldview, said, yeah, Hey, that's, that's who you were at one time, but who are you now? Man, you've been washed in the blood of Jesus. You've been sanctified, set apart, justified. Why? Not, not because of anything you've done, but because of who he is. And as a result of following him, it's changed on the inside. And that change has resulted in something changed on the outside. I love that such were some of you. That word, is there hope? Yeah, there's hope today because the heart of the gospel is that people's lives can be changed. I don't even for my own life. You know, there's sexual brokenness in my own life. That's why I can't point the finger at anybody else. But I can tell you that I've been changed, set free on the inside by, by not, a, you know, a program or a therapy. You can't, I can't offer you that. What can I offer you as a person? His name's Jesus. He's the light of the world. He's the hope of the world. You know, that's, that those words of that song, once I was lost, but now I'm found. You know, once I was blind, but, but now I see. And once I, was, once I was dead, but now I'm alive. 
you know, that hope that Christ offers is something that I would, I would encourage you. Like our goal isn't to try and change someone else's behavior, simply to follow Christ and be changed by him. If that stirs in your heart today and you desire to know him and you're like, man, I just didn't, I didn't even know that God loved me, cared about me. I didn't even know there was, you know, a God who knew me. There is, and he loves you and he knows you by name. He's calling you to himself to rescue, you know, rescue you from, from the darkness, from the emptiness, from the hopelessness of, uh, well, really, of being our own master. It just simply says, you know, that we would admit that we need a Savior, that we would believe that Christ died for us and rose from the dead, and that we would put our trust in Him. Jesus, I trust that you did it all, and I trust you with my life today. Amazing things can happen as a result. And so... You know, as, as always, we end uh, these sessions in this series with this. You may come to a different conclusion than me, and, I, and I'm okay with that. I, I would encourage you, you know, you may say, oh, that's it. We're unsubscribing. We're like writing this guy off. You know, I, I would encourage Jesus followers to, 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 uh, to reconsider that. And this is my ask of you, that you would just simply search Scripture, pour over it, and uh, send, send that to me. Send that truth to me, uh, you know, to encourage, to, to uh, challenge, to correct if necessary using Scripture. And, uh, you know, again, that we might both uh, encourage each other to build a biblical worldview in 2022. So can I pray with us? Father, thank you. I'm just grateful for your love, Lord. It's truly who you are and sense it throughout all of, uh, all of what you write and what you do. Lord, we're not perfect at that by, by no means. But I would just ask that you would, as your word says, let your love be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. On this topic, man, there's just so much hurt, so much difficulty around it. Uh, but God, you're our healer. And uh, so I just, I just pray over every person listening and watching. I just pray over... Uh, their situations and things maybe they've gone through that have resulted in, in where they find themselves. Just pray that they may truly discover their identity in you. Lord, and I pray that you would use us to reach those around us that we come in contact with, that they might see your goodness, see your uh, hope, and that they would find salvation in you. God, may you be glorified, I pray. Thank you for your word and the truth that it is, and thank you so much for your grace in our lives. Love you. It's in your name. Amen. Well, a couple things, you know, maybe some of you are going to want to, you know, chat about or, or uh, sit down with some others and, and have a great conversation about, you know, here's a couple thoughts. What jumped out at you from today's talk? And then second, do you have a biblical worldview of sexuality and gender and, and why or why not? Uh, and why do you think this is such a sensitive topic uh, to talk about? Why do you think it is? And then finally, you know, do you think that the church should stop offering the hope of, of Christ um, to our world simply because the law forbids it? And uh, again, I'm grateful to have the chance to, to share with you and grow with you. And, and uh, until next time, hopefully have a fantastic week. Keep on shining. We'll see you.